Joshua, this is our 103rd message in the book of Joshua. Praise God. And it has been amazing. But we're going to do a quick recap of where it is we've come from. Last week, our message was called Subjugating Sinfulness from Joshua chapter 16. Uh, we finished Joshua chapter 16 last week, and we took a close look at the tribe of Ephraim. And what we did was we considered what it was that they'd inherited in the promised land. And we also considered how it was that they managed it for the glory of God. And one of the things that we realized as we went through that message was the first thing was that God rewarded the faithfulness of fathers. And we saw it because Ephraim was only in the role that he was as a tribal leader because of the testimony of Joseph, his father. And it was because of that elevation, because of his dad's faithfulness, that they were actually rewarded. And then we also noticed that with Ephraim, God, uh, in, in that message or in that excerpt, we saw that, that God is the one that wants to keep families united. And what was interesting is we saw something very interesting about the way that God actually worked with Ephraim and Manasseh. They were brothers, right? These were the firstborn sons of Manasseh. And what was interesting was the fact that God designed their land so they would border one another and then also actually integrated their justice system so that they would function together. Now, what was interesting is this is a way of uniting these two tribes unlike any other tribes, uniting these these brothers. And then the last thing we saw was really the attitude that the Ephraimites had towards the threat that the population of Canaan posed to them. Now, God had warned them that we'd be very, very careful. They were supposed to drive them out, but they chose something different. They had a different attitude. And what we saw was they had ungodly methods don't deliver godly results. And what it was, we saw the fact that God had told them that they were to drive out the Canaanites. And they disregarded those instructions, and they decided they would do things their way. They applied human wisdom and human reasoning, and they said, well, instead of driving them out, why don't we use them in some way, integrate them into our lives? And what we saw was the fact that they, in fact, instead of driving them out, enslaved them. And what we saw is a correlation to the way Christians many times have things that are supposed to come out of their lives that God's directed them and shown them. And what will happen is they'll make concessions in certain ways that they can try to keep it in their life, right? There are some aspects of our lives that we've compromised in our Christian faith. And what happens is we try to justify them or find a way to fit them into our walk. And what God's saying is, listen, drive them out because he knows the danger that long-term they're going to pose. And when you and I compromise in our lives, in our Christian walk, and we have things that we know we should remove, but we don't, and we find ways to integrate them or overlook them, can I promise you long-term, long-term, they're going to come back to bite us? And that's exactly what happened with the Ephraimites. The reason why they will eventually crash is going to be because this influence that they allowed to stay in the land. And what we find with them is they had this struggle with obedience. They had a hard time doing what it was that God instructed them to do. And as we're continuing into Joshua chapter 17, we're going to see another picture of that struggle with obedience. Now, understand, we all struggle with this at some level. But what we'll find as we move into chapter 17 is we're going to revisit the half-tribe of Manasseh that chose the land that was actually in the wilderness. They were all provided an opportunity to go to Canaan. God's plan was that all 12 tribes would go and possess the promised land. But we know that there were two and a half tribes that decided they knew better. And so what would happen is they would actually choose to pull away. And there was that half tribe of Manasseh, which was the son, his name is Machir, who would unfortunately choose the wilderness over the promised land. And what we'll see today as we look at this struggle with obedience, as we look at their story, is that first of all, God had a peaceful place prepared for them. Secondly, carnal choices kept them out of the promised land. And thirdly, we'll see that they would never experience God's peace. The message this morning is titled, Rebellious by Nature. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for this opportunity we have to gather, uh, Lord, as a body. Thank you for the word of God that you've given us, for the truths that are spoken from it. And Lord, I do pray that, God, you would help me. You know my heart is to be not a hindrance to this message. Lord, I know that you have spoken clearly to me, and I'm asking you, Father, to speak through me, that I might just, uh, Lord, disappear if there's any way. Uh, Lord, that you would just use this message to speak to each of our hearts, Lord, that you would impact us, not anything that's said by me, but Lord, that it all would come from you, that you would guide and your spirit would work actively in this service today. Thank you for what you have planned and what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, today we're only going to cover verse number 1, 17-1. It says this, And there was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, to wit, for Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war. Therefore, he had Gilead 
and Bashan. Now, in order to validate that first point that God had a peaceful place for them, we're going to need to look at really what God's intentions were from the very beginning. We're going to look at kind of what God intended for them as a whole. And it's, not more, it's no more clearly displayed for us than if we go back to the, born, to the burning bush. When Jesus, in, in the form of the bush, is speaking to Moses, he relays to him his plans for the children of, of Israel. Exodus 3, verse 8 says this, And I am come down to deliver them, okay, this is all of them, out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, unto a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Continuing in verse 16 and 17, he says this, Go and gather the elders of Israel, and he says, together, and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you, recognizing Israel, right? This is them and their, uh, their affliction, and seeing that which is done to you, speaking of Israel, in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you, all of them, up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the Mosquito Bites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, right? Again, we see this promise. It's for all of the people. The Lord is speaking to and about the Israelites as a whole. There's no division. There's no separation of the tribes in this. We see and they are all to inherit the promised land of Canaan. Now, in Numbers 26, through Numbers 26, what you'll find is uh, actually Moses is numbering the tribes. He's going to go through all 12 tribes, and he numbers them out and finds the total. And after he totals those numbers, this is what he says, reiterating God's intentions for Israel in Numbers 26, 53. Unto these, the whole list that I've just made through Numbers 26, all 12 tribes, unto these the land shall be divided for an inheritance according to the number of the names. So we can clearly see that God's intention was that all 12 tribes would exist and be within the promised land, within the borders of Canaan, revealing to us that God had a peaceful place prepared for them. Notice what verse 1 said. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh. Not half of the tribe of Manasseh, for the entire tribe. They are unified at this point. It is all set aside for the unified body of that, of that tribe. And up to this point, recognize that the Bible at this point in time has described this place that God has provided for them 16 different times. Up to this point, God has described the promised land as the land flowing with milk and honey. What is that referencing? It's talking about a place of abundance, a place of peace, a place of rest. And if they will simply walk by faith, follow their Joshua, their leader, right? Follow their Joshua and put their faith in him. By his power, he will drive out and empty the land of wickedness and give them a land that is holy, a land that is righteous, a land where they can dwell with him in fellowship and peace. That's the intention that God has for the Israelites. And can I tell you that if you think about us, for them, it's a physical place, right? Remember, the Old Testament is filled with pictures, physical pictures showing us things from history that represent spiritual things. And for us on a spiritual level, we're not talking about physical promised land for us, but a spiritual one. It is a place of abundance, spiritual abundance. The promised land that we're mentioning is John 10.10. 10. Jesus references it here. He says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy, talking about the devil. He's come for destruction. But what's my purpose? I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So he's saying, I have come in to give them an abundant life, not just life, right, but an abundant life. This is something that, that the life that the, that the world cannot offer. The world cannot offer the kind of abundance that God's talking about. It's a place of spiritual abundance with peace and rest. And we only access it, listen, by faith, through following our Joshua, the Hebrew rendering, of Jesus. We follow our Joshua and we trust him and we walk by faith. And by his power, he will drive wickedness out of our life through his power, through our surrender to him, and give us a holy, a holy and a sanctified life where we can dwell with him in fellowship and peace. There's the correlation, the spiritual and the physical. So we look at this and we go, okay, great. Well, here's in this story, we recognize the fact that he has prepared this for all of his children, right? We know this. So guess what? God's prepared this also 
for all of His children. The abundant life is not just for a chosen few, not a couple of people that God selected out. He said, no, no, I prepared it for, for everybody. There's a spiritual Canaan for every single person. But it comes down to this, will we receive it, right? Will we receive it? Because ultimately we get to choose in that instance. Just because it's available to us does not mean that we are going to experience it. And so what we find is the fact that there are so many times when it comes down to us have a willingness to receive what it is that God plans. Even though this was established for the tribe of Manasseh as a whole, history tells us that only half of that tribe is going to experience it. The others will willfully reject it. They will make their own choice. Because what you need to understand is the fact that the, all of the children of Israel have been unified all the way through this whole process until you get to Numbers 32. And in Numbers 32, this is where the break takes place. And this is where there's Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They see the land around them that's in the wilderness, and boy, it looks good. And they fall in love with it. And they say, you know what? We don't want what you have for us. We actually choose something different. They're lured by what they saw, right? One of the things we find is the fact that our eyes are very dangerous for us. The things we look at, guess what they do? They get a hold of our hearts. That's why the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight, right? Because your sight's a dangerous thing. We get our eyes on things, and boy, guess what? It can get a hold of our heart. And they saw the wilderness, and guess what? They fell in love with it. They were like, this is exactly what we need. And this, by their very lust of their eyes, they were willing to reject what God had prepared for them. And this is what they said in Numbers 32, 19. For we will not inherit with them on yonder side, Jordan. We do not want what you have prepared for us. Or forward, because our inheritance has fallen to us on this side, Jordan, eastward. So though we know that God has this in Canaan for us west of the Jordan, which is the whole point was to get over the Jordan, that was the whole thing, we choose to be on the east of the Jordan. Though we know what God has for us, we choose the other. And see, this is what believers do all the time. Though we may come to church and someone will preach a message and we'll be convicted about, man, that, that abundant life. Boy, I want it. We may read it in Scripture and we go, wow, you know, the abundant life. That's an amazing promise. But see, it's just that. It's just a promise. It's a promise of something that, guess what, is going to take some work. Because it's going to, it's going to require a spiritual walk. It's going to require, it's going to, it requires sacrifice. It's going to require a willingness to, to give up maybe things that, that we would otherwise want to hold on to. And so when we think about the aspect of sacrifice, we go, well, you know, that's, that doesn't sound as comfortable as the world looks pretty good, though. You know, when I look at what the world has to offer, well, yeah, there's, there's joy there. There's, there's happiness at least. I can desire those things. Well, I don't need to really give up anything in order to embrace the world. All I have to do is just kind of reach out and take it. All I have to do is just integrate myself in, into the world. And so what happens is we end up doing the very thing that God warns us about the dangers of the world. Scripture's loaded with warnings about the power of the world's influence over us. Look in 1 John verse 2, chapter 2, verse 15 through 16. This first verse says, love not the world, okay? Remember, there was warnings given to them about Canaan. There was warnings, be careful of the world. Don't embrace the world, and they're going to choose the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What this is telling us is, listen, as Christians, if we fall in love with the world, what it will do is it will affect our hearts towards the mission that God has us here to accomplish. When we're surrendered to God, guess what we do? We cry over souls. We're burdened over the, the state of the world. We hurt for the pains of others. But when we're consumed with the world, guess what? We see our own concerns. We elevate ourselves and our importance. And we stop seeing the world the way God does. And what will happen is opposed to looking at the world and saying, Man, it breaks my heart for what they're embracing. It breaks my heart for what they're, what they're caressing, what they're, what they're desiring, what they're putting in their home, what they're putting in their ears, what they're putting in their, in their hearts, all this stuff that they're consuming. It breaks my heart. But see, someone whose heart has fallen in love with the world, guess what they start doing? I'm going to get a little bit of that from me. Doesn't look so bad. Though we know it's taking people to hell because it's being a God to them, we make it a God to us. And we find ourselves falling in love with the things of the world. And listen to what John says about the fruitfulness of it in John verse 16. He says, for all that is in the world, notice, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of 
the world. He's warning us of the danger of falling in love with the world because we'll miss out on what he created us for. He has that abundant life available to us. But see what happens because believers get so consumed with the world that they don't have ears to hear. Someone can sit in a message and hear convicting preaching, listen to a podcast, listen to, to Scripture, read the Bible, and man, oh man, God's given you all that you need. And guess what? It just runs like water off a duck's back. It just goes in the one and goes out the other. And you go, you know what? I hope whoever needs to hear this needs to hear this. And what it's amazing because you know what? It's pride. And you know what pride does? Pride shuts our ears. We don't want to hear what we, what's wrong with us. No. Just don't, don't worry about convicting me of my issues. I'll deal with my heart. You worry about you and God. Don't try to point fingers at me. I'm not pointing fingers at you. The Bible does, right? The Bible points fingers at me. Notice this. People become captivated by the lure of their flesh and the world. And the things that they think, the things that become important in their life, they don't mean anything to God. The things that we elevate, that we, that we celebrate, they don't mean anything to God. They don't have any long-term eternal value whatsoever, no matter how we may try to portray them to ourselves. So, they got, so that God's prepared for, for us, for us an opportunity to embrace Him, to walk with Him, to be in fellowship with Him. But instead, what happens? People embrace the pleasures of the world for the short-term excitement, the short-term, the short-term, short-term uh, happiness. And so what happens is they will, they will look to and affirm and, and grip onto those things that look good. And they'll reject those things that, that are good. Right? God wants us to get what is good and make it a part of who we are. Not just simply what, what looks good. And in doing so, they're indulging their flesh. And what happens when we indulge our flesh, we're doing the exact opposite of what God tells us to do. Right? Jesus tells us that we're supposed to deny our flesh. And notice this in Luke 9, verse 23. And he says, And he said to them all, If any man, any man, will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And what's interesting about crosses, crosses always require personal sacrifice of the ones who bear them. Always. And see, this is where most Christian walks start to come to an end. Because the aspect of personal sacrifice is not comfortable. We don't want to let go of things that we like. We don't want to change things, right? Because we go, listen, I am who I am. I've been this way for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60, 70, 80 years. Who knows, right? I've been carrying this stuff all this time. And you know what? I, don't need, I, I, I haven't changed to this point in time, and I'm not going to change now. I am set in my ways, and God says, No. No, you're to sacrifice of yourself. The things that you desire, the things that you want, they need to be what I desire, what I want for you, not what you desire. And so what happens is it's the idea of letting go of the world. And because we're so integrated in the world, especially in our culture, man, oh man, it's so pervasive. It gets in every nook and cranny of your life. If we're not careful, man, we look just like the world. The aspect of sanctifying ourselves is very, very difficult because it is literally all, all around us. And so what we see with the descendants of Machir, the firstborn son of Manasseh, is the fact that he's unwilling, unwilling to choose what God chooses. He wants his will over God's will. And this brings us to our next point, which is this. Carnal choices kept them out of the promised land. You guys are extremely quiet. Is everybody okay? Yes. All right, no one's, no, one's, no one's injured or hurt. There's nothing going on. You're not, no drug has been induced to this room to calm everybody down. I don't know. I just feel like I'm talking to myself. Okay. Um, number two, carnal choices kept them out of the promised land. Number, verse number one says this, For he was the firstborn of Joseph, to wit, the mach, for Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh. Okay? And so this points us, and this point is going to be built off of our first point. Um, we're going to explore that sinful nature that fuels our flesh. But there's interesting point or detail here that shows up in this little portion. Notice that term firstborn shows up two times. Twice we see this, this half tribe uh, that chose the wilderness over the promised land is from the line of the firstborn. Manasseh was Joseph's firstborn son. Okay, The second son is Asriel. Then Machir, who was the firstborn, has his 
uh, Manasseh has his son, and his son is, is Machir. So we're seeing a line following the firstborn. Okay? Now, what's interesting about this is as there's points, God always, everything has a purpose in Scripture. Everything is teaching something. And so that detail is important. God's trying to point us to something. So what we'll do is we'll look at this and we'll go, okay, if we take this Old Testament principle that's being taught here and we apply it to church age doctrine, what's, taught, what's God talking about in regards to the first birth? Now, consider this from a Christian perspective, a spiritual perspective. Understand that as children of God, guess what? We've experienced two births, okay? As a child of God, you're born twice and die once. If you are a lost person, you will be born once and you will die twice. You'll have a physical death and a spiritual death. As a child of God, we're born once physically and we're also born spiritually. We'll die only physically, never spiritually. So we see this spiritual aspect. Now, there's two births. So Jesus explains this principle to us when he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. John 3, verses 3 through 7 says this, Jesus answered and saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, first birth, and of the Spirit, second birth, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So he's talking about a physical birth and a spiritual birth. Verse 7, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Jesus is informing Nicodemus that, listen, when it comes to that first, first birth in regards to God, it will not, it will not cut it. Because the first, birth, the, first, first birth, the first birth is tied to and linked to Adam. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So the sin nature comes by way of Adam. And because we are Adam's descendants, his carnal, fleshly nature is also ours. So the proof of this fact can be real, is revealed when you look at the human heart. Right? Do we have a, 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 na a natural tendency to sin? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And then it says, and, it says, and desperately wicked, right? Desperately wicked. Who can know it? And now if you ask people and you interview people, you say, are you a good person? Most people go, well, sure. Yeah. And you ever lied? Yeah. Yeah. You ever stole anything? Yeah. Yeah. You ever, like, uh, use the Lord's name in vain? Yeah, 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 yeah. You ever have uh, like carnal thoughts, like wicked, like sexual thoughts about people that were not your spouse, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. And you're, you're a good person, right? Right? See, we all see ourselves with the filter that we're good, but what we all actually have to understand is the fact that we're all wicked by nature. We all have this tendency towards wrong. We have a tendency towards evil. Because think about it, it's much easier, it's much more natural to lie than to be truthful, right? You're running, you're running late at work just because you were on your phone, and you were messing around, you're playing a game, and you're like, oh, man, I'm running late. Now, when you call your boss, hey, I'm running late, you don't go, I was playing a game. <laughs> I just lost track of time. I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, I was playing a game. I'm like 20 minutes late. Sorry about that. No. Yeah, the traffic's ridiculous. Ah, I'm trying to get there. Accident. All right? right? I'm not the only one, I hope. Right? It's more natural to be bitter than to be forgiving. Much, much more natural. It's more natural to criticize than it is to encourage. It is much more natural to steal than to earn. And what I mean is this. Everybody loves something for nothing. How can I find a way to get this for free? More natural to be selfish than to be generous. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 45 through 48 says this, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, was made a living soul, physical birth. And the last Adam, this is Jesus, the second, was made a quickening spirit. Quickening means a spiritual life brought to life spiritually. Verse 46, Howbeit that was not first, speaking of the second, which is spiritual, but that which is natural first, and afterward that which is spiritual. So we see the natural birth, the, the, the natural, and then the spiritual being second. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. 
as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and as in the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. So the first birth is representative of the fallen nature of man, and the second birth is representative of the spiritual nature of Christ. We're all born into the first nature. The only way we can experience the second is through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Remember that the cross, all crosses, require incredible personal sacrifice to those who bear them. And there is no one in history who ever gave a personal sacrifice or made a personal sacrifice like Christ, making himself a servant making himself a sacrifice. Literally, when you consider the fact that he gave his life as a payment for a debt that was not his debt, it was a debt for people that we would biblically register as his enemies. The Bible says to be a friendship of the world is to be an enemy of God. When we're lost, guess what? We're God's enemies, and yet Jesus went to the cross for a lost world that hated him. Unbelievable. And we think about the level of sin that's in this world, the level of what benevolence, horrific things can be done to people. My wife and I went and saw that movie yesterday called The Sound of Freedom. It breaks your heart to know what's going on in this world, how wicked people can be. And we were sitting afterwards and we were talking to him. I said, did you realize that Jesus took that as well? He took that level of sin. Unbelievable what he would do for us. But see, that second birth, man, he offers it to everybody. Everybody. Consider this Philippians 2, 7, and 8. We think about his sacrifice, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Fueled by love, Jesus comes and he offers the second birth to anyone who will receive it by faith. And then they will become what the Bible calls as born again. That's not just some phrase that churches came up with. It's in the Bible. And in this new spiritual state, listen, we can walk with God. Notice I use the term can, not will. Just because we're saved does not mean we're going to walk with God. It all depends on which nature we choose to guide our lives. Right? Which one is in control? Which one is guiding us? Is it our fallen nature that we get from Adam? Or is it our spiritual nature that comes from Christ? If we'll submit ourselves to the leading of the Lord and prioritize His righteousness in our lives, then we can experience the abundant life that the Lord spoke of. But if we will set our affection on things on the earth, like the children of Machir, who were given the same opportunity as anybody else, then we'll find ourselves chasing after phantoms, that don't exist. People go to the world and they try to find peace. People go to the world and they find, try to find joy. People go to the world and they try to find actual rest. Can I tell you that in the world there is no peace? There is no rest? And I can tell you one thing, there is no fellowship with God. You will not find it in the world. And no matter how much people consume of things to fulfill them, they always end up empty. There's always got to be something else, something new, some new adventure, some new experience, something. And so what happens? Christians, as Christians, we can only find peace and rest in the loving arms of our Father. That's what we were created for, right? It's for a love relationship with God. It's the whole thing. The reason why there's peace and rest is because we're finally with our Creator, right? What happens with the child separated from their parent? Man, oh man, they, they go through all this turmoil and struggle, and no matter how many things you try to distract them with, if they're separated from their parent and they're, they're missing their mom or their dad, it doesn't matter if they're at camp. Who's ever been homesick before when you were a kid? Oh, I was the worst. I was the worst, man. Cry, and the counselors are like... What can we do for you? You want some more ice cream? I'm like, I've had like four pieces. I'm not just a mess, right? I was a big baby. I can't help it. But the point was, there was no rest. It didn't matter what you gave me. I was not satisfied until I climbed in my mom's arms. You know what? And man, then all of a sudden, I didn't need ice cream. I didn't need anything. I just wanted to hug her. 
And she's like, it's okay, baby, it's okay. Did they treat you bad? I'm like, <laughs> anyway, gives you an idea where I come from. But the point is this. It's the desire to be with our Father, right? And that's where we find true peace and rest. And if we try to find it in the world, it will frustrate us to no end. And see, God doesn't want that just for us, but he wants it for everybody. He wants it for all of his creation. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, right? The whole world, right? That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, man. That he'll have that opportunity to be reconciled to their father, to have a relationship with their creator. See, the tribe of Manasseh was offered that very thing. And of the two sons, one, the firstborn, would reject God's offer, while the second would receive it. In our lives, which one are we following? Right? Which one are we following? Who's in the driver's seat of our lives? Is it the carnal nature or the spiritual nature? To discern the answer, well, all we have to do is really look at our relationship with God. Look at the peace and the rest and the fellowship. Because recognize, if we're not in our spiritual promised land, well, guess what? We know it. We know it because of the unrest that's in our hearts. And so when I tell you that, and you may, you may hear it and go, well, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And so look, I'm not trying to run you down or, 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 or make you feel like you're, you're failed. Because recognize, the only way to get out of where you are is to know where you are, right? Yeah. If you realize that you're not in the promised land, you know where it is you need to go, right? So at least now I can go, okay, I got an idea. I know about where I'm at now. So now I can set my sights on where it is that I, I need to get myself. Submission draws us, submission to God, draws us into the abundant life, okay? Rebellion drives us to the world. And so if we look at our lives and we go, man, I have way too much of the world in me, guess what? We have too much rebellion in us. Submission is the key. Rebellion, again, draws us to the world. We get to determine which one we choose to follow and we determine where we are. It's completely up to us. And then the last thing we see about this text is it reveals Machir's descendants would never experience God's peace. And this is a tough one. This is a tough one. And there's a lot of people that struggle with the aspect of, of peace. It's a very difficult thing. The half-tribe of Manasseh made their, made their choice. God allowed them to make this choice because guess what? He's given humanity a free will. We get to choose, right? Now, he would have loved for them to choose him, obviously, but the world drew upon them a little too hard. They were they were drawn to the things that they saw. But did you notice there was something recorded in that phrase? It says here in this, this point, verse number one, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war, therefore he had Gilead and Bashan. So basically he earned the wilderness because he was a man of war. Now we saw that term, the man of war, and I looked it up in the Bible. And what's interesting is it shows up eight different times. The very first time it appears in Scripture is in Ephesians, or is in Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. Now it's not talking about simply people that have fought physical battles, because recognize all 12 tribes have fought physical battles. Everybody has been battling. So it's not specifically talking. It mentions them. It calls them out for a reason. And notice Exodus 15, 3. This is the very first time it appears in Scripture. It says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So in this battle, one of the combatants is God. And then what you find when you go and you read the other seven times, it's all people that are in defiance of God. And one of those being David, right? Why was David not allowed to build the temple? Because ye are a man of war. You ruined it. You defied me deliberately defied me. So we see this aspect of a battle that's not talking about a man of war in a physical battle. It's talking about a spiritual battle, a rebellion against God. And so if we recognize that, we see this. What's interesting is it, if, if we consider the, the, the battle that, that's being mentioned here, a spiritual battle between us and God or, or good and evil, we can all attest that that's something we know all about. Right? We can see it all around us every day. Who can look at the world or just go outside, watch the news, go on the internet, whatever it is, and we see the battle between good and evil. Boy, I tell you, in that movie, 
I, I recommend everybody go see it. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. Parent or not parent, you need to see it. You need to see it. You need to see it. Because it will open your eyes to the wickedness in this world and what needs to be seen by so many people. But I can tell you that the, the, the true, the battle between good and evil is absolutely, absolutely real. And it is raging as we speak. The problem is, sometimes we're on the wrong side. Because I'm going to tell you this, if we have aligned ourselves with the world, we're on the wrong side. We are rebelling against God. Because ultimately, the battle is between the world and God. We're supposed to be on these, with that song, you know, I have, you know, who is on the Lord's side, right? Who is on the Lord's side? And we all want to claim that we're on the Lord's side. Because I can promise you, that if you went to that half-tribe of Manasseh to Machir, who's just fought their way across Canaan, by the way, they were side by side with their brothers all the way through every battle that's been fought. They were there. And they would say, we're on the Lord's side. Dude, I got blood splattered all over me from all the battles we've been fighting. I mean, can you not see? I'm right there in the battle with you. I'm sitting beside you in church. I'm in the battle. But I'm going to make my dwelling place. In the wilderness. See what I'm saying? We can look like we're a part of the crowd, like we're right in the battle. But where's our heart? Because God had a place prepared for them, and they said, you know what? We choose, not that we're driven there, we choose to defy God, and we will choose to live outside of God's will. And so the Bible says in James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. They knew God had a place for them, and yet they chose something different. You know, if, 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 if as parents we have a child, and that child's not listening, and we finally go, go to your room. Go to your room. And they go, Wah. They go marching off, right? We go up the steps. Da, 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 da. You know, and then later on we go upstairs. And they're, they're sitting outside their door on the floor. Right by their door. Right? Pride. I'm not going to go in that room. Oh, yeah, I'll go away like you said, but I'm going to sit here right by the door. You know what? Partial obedience. Still disobedience. Right? They knew where they were supposed to be, where God told them to be. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sit right outside the door because we want to have it our way. Rebellion. Rebellion. We all struggle with it at some, some level. The half-tribe of Manasseh was given a chance just like anybody else. And this title, the man of war, was earned because of their defiance of God. And for that reason, by the hand of Moses, not God, God's very clear to make sure that we don't think that he gave them the land. But by the hand of Moses... They give the land on the east of Jordan. They get that land of Gilead and Bashan in the wilderness. And you know what's interesting about Gilead and Bashan? Both of those lands border enemies. The Jordan River on the left, on the right, enemies. And so what happens is now they are in a situation where they're not safe. In the promised land, guess what? Their borders would be their brethren. Who would come across the border? Man, their, their family. They'd be amongst family. They would be in the midst of the will of God. But they knew better. God, you haven't seen what we've seen. We know what we need. You believe you know. You think you know, but, but we know better. And the only peace that, you know what, they're going to experience will be worldly peace. And worldly peace is defined this way. An absence of conflict. Most people, that's what they recognize as peace, right? But that's not the peace that, that God offers. What we find is most Christians, if we ask them what peace is, sadly, it's an absence of conflict. There's a lot of people that if you go and talk to them and you, about how, how are things going on in your life? Ugh. Calm before the storm, I guess, <laughs> right? Well, right now things are good. But I don't know what tomorrow holds. It's going to be, ugh, it's going to hit the fan soon enough. Man, it's getting ready to be bad. And what happens is they live for these moments where they're not under some type of duress. And the only, the only reference they can make in their lives is just those breaks in the conflicts that they're constantly dealing with, especially in their homes, 
right? If not child with parent, then it's child with child or parent with parent. And it's this absence of conflict that they're living for those moments where they can just get a break. But you see, the peace of God is not determined based upon our circumstances. It does not matter what adversities we're facing because the peace of God is the presence of God with us in the midst of our circumstances, right? Jesus said this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Notice this qualifier, not as the world giveth, absence of conflict. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know what God's peace does? It eliminates fear. You know what it does? It calms troubled hearts. You know what it does? It brings God's people into fellowship with their Savior, no matter what the circumstances are, right? But if you're living for just breaks in the turmoil, and that's what you consider peace, my goodness, it indicates to you where it is you are. You're certainly not in the promised land. You're not in a place where you're submitted. No matter how much you may try to convince yourself, I was in the battle. I was right alongside my brethren, but my dwelling place is in the wilderness. Don't convince yourself that you're where you need to be when you guys, is God's showing you indicators of where it is you should be. And so the question is, where, where are we? Are we surrendered and submitted to the will of God for our lives? Or would God label us a man or a woman of war? Because we are in defiance of him. Can you recognize the battle, the spiritual battle is real, man. It is real. I don't in any way, I'm not downgrading it or saying that it's not difficult. It is difficult. Why does it say take up your cross daily? Every day, man, when you wake up, guess what? God's mercies are new, but guess what? Your flesh is also revived. Well, you can beat it down the day before. Man, you ain't getting nothing. You ain't getting nothing. God, you're in control. You're control. You're control. You're control. And the next morning, wake up, and the flesh is like, let's rock and roll. And you're like, oh, golly, dude. Thought I had you done yesterday. Oof. Nope. He gets up ready to get what he wants, right? Hungry for the things of the world. Our flesh desires the world, man. It's hungry for it. It's what it was born and raised on. It's like, you know what? If you were born and raised eating a certain kind of food, no matter how old you get, you eventually still like that food. Well, guess what? Our flesh was born and raised in sin. And guess what it does? It loves sin. So what I've got to do is learn how to give my body spiritual things, to feed it those things that are right, that are good, that are holy, get in that place, in that, in that promised land, to be surrounded by my brethren, to be in fellowship with God, to experience the peace and the rest of God. And guess what? Then the flesh doesn't have the power that it otherwise does. But recognize it's a, it's a daily struggle. This battle, as I said, is real. And we can fight it in our own strength if we choose to. We have every right to do so. God says, hey, if you want to do it, by all means, knock yourself out. And what we'll find is that we will live our lives for those moments, those brief moments of worldly peace. And we'll hunger for those things. And we'll do anything to bring peace. I'll submit, surrender, give in to whatever I need to. Just bring peace because I need something. I feel like I'm always in a battle. But God says, no, no, that's not the answer. See, it's surrender to me. It's a walk with me. Surrender to God's plan for us. Let go of the world and set our sights on the promised land where we'll be surrounded by family, protected from enemies. Listen, walking in fellowship with our creator and experiencing the peace of God which passeth all understanding. It'll keep your hearts and your minds and you can experience true peace, which is what we were created to experience. The fact that we don't is our own choice. Recognize, most Christians spend their time complaining about their circumstances, okay? Instead of embracing the biblical truths, that will fix them. Because in order to deal with these issues, it, takes, it requires us to do some soul searching, to look within. And for some of us, that's the scariest prospect in the world, to truly look into our hearts, to find things that we do not want to see.
But can I tell you, if we can see in our hearts and notice our weakness and our brokenness and we can address the issues of failure that maybe are controlling our lives, some of us are living with bonds and chains that have tied us to the past that we will not cut because we will not look at them. God gives us the power to break every chain. But you know, there are people here in this room today and your life, you're chained to the past. And you just won't let it go because of your pride or your fear. And man, if you'll face those things and you're just like, God, it's not me. I am what I am by the grace of God. I've made mistakes. My life's not been what I wanted it to be. I've been gone through adversities and hardships. But God, if you'll let me, I want to live for you. I don't want to live for this past. I don't want this thing to control me. And God says, you know what? Boom. He'll shatter every chain. And you know, the scary thing is that God can do it on one day. And the next morning we wake up. The past, the past. No. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. God says, listen, your past is just going to hold you back. Some of our relationships with our families, they're damaged because of our past. Listen, you're only responsible for tomorrow, for today. You have today only. All of us, we're only promised today. We're not even promised the next minute or the next hour. There are people that left this planet today who thought they had 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road. And when we allow the world, the past, to contain us, we limit what God can do in our lives, in our families, in our children. We're given a gift of life. And every day, if we'll surrender it to God, he can use it for his glory. Recognize it's about not, it's not just about complaining about our circumstances. Recognize, and yes, we all have circumstances, and they are what they are. But you see, God allows circumstances. God allows, he knows what tomorrow holds. He knows the adversities that are coming down the road. And as opposed to complaining about them, what if we saw them differently? Romans 8, 28 says, and we know, listen, know that all things work together for good. Listen, to those, for, to them who love God, to them, we're the called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. Okay? Now, if this is true, which I can promise you that it is, what this is telling us is that God allows adversity and circumstances, good or bad, for the purpose of his glory. And if it's for his glory, can I promise you that it is for your good? And so what happens as opposed to complaining about our circumstances and simply having issues going, no, 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 no. It's not about complaining about them. It's about embracing what we need to do and changing our perspective. It's all about the way we see it, right? If you knew for a reason, for a fact, that this thing was going on in your life, God was going to do something great through it, and he told you exactly what it was, you'd be willing to endure it because I know it's going to get me here. But can you know, based upon the fact of God's character, that we can trust Him, that whatever we're going through today, sickness, illness, brokenness, pain, sad, whatever it is, that God's saying, hey, listen, well, if you'll endure this and you'll trust me through it, one day you're going to see from a different perspective and you're going to see this was an opportunity for me to do something great in your life. And so it comes down to this. When I look at obstacles in my life, when I look at circumstances in my life, do I see opportunities for God to work or do I see a big obstacle in my life? It's all perspective. The exact same thing can be seen as an opportunity or an obstacle based upon our faith in God. And if I know God is allowing the adversity that I'm in right now and he knows what tomorrow holds and he loves me and wants what's best for me, then as opposed to complaining about it, what if I said, you know what, God? I don't understand why I am where I am right now, but Lord, help me to learn what it is you need me to learn. Help me to be changed in the way that I need to change. Help me, Lord, if it's to break the chains that have been holding me all these years. God, would you let this just be the final thing that lets me let go? Amen. Could you just do what I need you to do, God? Because one day, I don't want to stand before you and say, wow, God, I fought you the whole way. I was rebellious by nature. And all these things you were trying to do through adversity. I battled every step of the way, and I complained, and I shook my fist at you. All the whole time, it was done in love. Whether or not we experience a promised land or not is up to us. It's offered to everybody. But see, a lot of us are in the wilderness by choice. 
question is, will we surrender ourselves to God or remain rebellious by nature? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for speaking to my heart. And I pray, God, to our hearts. I know you showed me what you showed me for a purpose for this church specifically, God. And I do pray that, Father, you'd help it to land. Not just for while we're in here. But, Lord, when we leave this place, help us, Lord, to make the changes. To surrender to your will and to stop battling against it. Help us not to be rebellious by nature, but Lord, help us to be submissive. Because God, you want to do great and mighty things through these lives you've gifted us with. And I pray for my brothers and sisters today. Everybody's struggling with something at some level. And God, I do pray, God, that you'd help each one to surrender. Help each one to see that you have something so much more for them. God, would you help them embrace the truths of your word? Would you help them, Lord, to live not for their own glory, but for yours? Would you help them to take their eyes and their hearts off of this wicked, wicked world and all the distractions and the garbage it contains, seeking joy and happiness that they'll never find? Lord, would you help them? Help them to seek holiness so they can truly experience the peace the rest, the love and the fellowship with you that you created us for. Every one of us have access to it, but it's our individual choice whether or not we'll receive it. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know where I stand with God. You may have been in church your whole life. I don't know where you stand, but ultimately it comes down to this. There is a day when you will leave this planet And when you die or when you leave this planet, I can promise you that the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you leave this life, you will stand before God. And He will either judge you for your sin or He will welcome you into His family because He paid for your sin. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world and He offers every single solitary person an opportunity to receive the gift of God which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's nothing more than faith. There is no works. There's no religious ceremony. There's nothing but a heart that's broken that says, I want what God is offering. I know that sin is my problem, and I know that he is a solution to that sin. He paid the price. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, if you're watching this online, listening to it recorded, again, it does not require any kind of preacher or anything. This is between you and God. And all you need to do is talk to him. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but it's only to be a guide. He's listening, listening to your heart. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior and you feel his draw, simply surrender and repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I understand there's a debt, a debt that I cannot afford to pay. And that's why you came to earth. I believe that you died on that cross to pay for my sin debt because you love me. And Lord, right now by faith, I receive that gift. Lord, I I receive you as my Savior and I ask you to save me. God, thank you for loving me in spite of myself. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.